From bell to bell and post to post. We got a big battle in front of us, baby. And it's just stop. So let's get fucking like a monkey. Working the territories on the Northwest Coast. Who wants to walk with Elias? You're listening to Wrestle Central. Give me a hell yeah. On Sportsnet 650. You got a journalism for that? With Justin Morissette. And the next person who wants to stand up and run their mouth, they're going to have to deal with the consequences. Bro. Oh, man. Look who's here. Bro. I'm actually here to give you some advice, some info. Because I hear that you're the face that runs the place. Well... I want to inform you that I'm the bro that's going to run the show. Matt Riddle's big debut on Friday Night Smackdown opposite AJ Styles where Riddle comes away with the victory and the whole thing feels kind of weird because that's the kind of week it has been. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is is Justin Morissette, as the man told you, and uh, not going to be a fun show tonight. Going to be a very serious one for the most part, but we are live, and you can have your say if you want uh, to weigh in on any of the things that come up tonight, uh, whether that's via the text line at 650-650, or you can give me a call at 604-280-0650. You know, um, typically when we are catching up on the world in professional wrestling, I get to talk about creative decisions and artistic directions and storylines and angles and fake things like that that have really no um, no real weight to them in the real world, of course. We are talking about a scripted program that has uh, a, a great amount of athleticism in it, but is ultimately uh, you know, kind of a, a live action movie in a sports arena every single week. It's not important. It doesn't have uh, gravity necessarily. Sometimes it can, but it usually doesn't. This is a a weird week where reporting on the world of pro wrestling means reporting on um, some of the most difficult topics that there are to talk about uh, because this was a week where, you know, whether you want to call it the Me Too movement or cancel culture, uh, a term that I personally despise, especially in the context it's usually uh, used in, uh, whatever you want to call it, that sort of thing a cultural upheaval, a peek behind the curtain at the kind of people who occupy positions of power within the uh, structures of professional wrestling, uh, were revealed to be quite toxic in, uh, in, in honestly shocking ways. And it's surprising to say that because I think you know when you get into being a fan of this business on some level that you are uh, watching people that you morally do not agree with, I think, on some level. That there is no such thing as ethical consumption, perhaps not in capitalism and certainly not in professional wrestling. That is kind of the devil's bargain that you make in being a fan of this business at all. And yet still, this week was difficult. This week exposed a lot of heinous wrongdoing from a lot of people that maybe you might expect it from, but also from a lot of people that you wouldn't. And I think this was a cultural movement across not just wrestling, but uh, culture itself, really, whether that was Chris D'Elia and the outing of him as a, as a you know monster, essentially, preying on underage women uh, in the comedy world and the, and the uprising that that has created in the world of comedy, not just Chris, but, you know, other comedians being outed for their wrongdoings as well. Uh, this is a movement that is kicking up again after culturally maybe it felt like uh, it, it had taken a significant hit when the allegations against Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden don't seem to uh, stick at all. People who were banging the drum pretty hard uh, for Me Too earlier in the movement uh, don't seem to care about some certain allegations that have come out since. It felt like maybe the public interest in this sort of thing was waning, that the tide was turning back the other way. And then we get a week like this that unearths all kinds of rottenness uh, in entertainment as a whole. In the comedy industry, you know, you see Daniel Carcillo 
uh, filing a, a lawsuit against the Canadian Hockey League here in Canada to try and change and fix toxic culture within uh, the hockey world. Uh, it, and that came for wrestling this week as well. Uh, it, it was predominantly out of Great Britain and the UK where, I mean, it would be easier to list the people in the British wrestling scene as far as men go who were not implicated uh, by any of the news that came out this week than it would be uh, to talk about the, the people that were. Uh, you know, the, the depths of this sort of stuff, a culture where you are partying with underage girls and uh, feeding them alcohol to the point where uh, consent is impossible. And even if it existed, they're 15, 16 years old. This is criminal stuff in the first place. A lot of skeevy stuff. A lot of disgusting conduct unearthed in the world of professional wrestling this week. And uh, I didn't really want to lead with that out of the gate tonight. I wanted to talk about uh, a number of things that I didn't have a chance to touch on in last week's show. Like, for example, the fact that Paul Heyman had been let go from his position as the creative head of Monday Night Raw. uh, And what that had meant to WWE programming this week. I wanted to talk about New Japan returning this past week and again tonight and into this coming week uh, and the weeks ahead, I should say, with the New Japan Cup and their playing to empty arenas in Japan right now. I wanted to be able to talk about that. I even wanted to be able to talk about maybe even some storyline things as well, like Bray Wyatt's latest turn, the latest twist in his feud with Braun Strowman, something that I quite enjoyed on the television this week. I maybe even wanted to talk about Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho and what a tremendous feud that has been. But it feels very difficult to steer from the heavy conversation into the lighter one. I honestly meant to do this the other way around, to start with the light stuff first and then get into the heavy allegations and all of the people that I have to speak out uh, against on this show. Uh, And I do have to speak out against some people on this show. Look, there are a wide breadth of accusations circulating out there uh, not just, it started in Britain. It started in England, in the UK, in the Brit rest scene, if you want to call it that. And it has exploded there to the point where, you know, English Parliament is saying that they are planning to look in to the way this industry operates and create some sort of oversight so that the things that have been alleged this week are not able to happen again. But it spread over to America as well. People speaking out against. You know, people who uh, it, it's it's not ju- it's two situations, I guess. It's men in wrestling, whether they are a th- people in positions of authority within the business or whether they are simply just wrestlers interacting with female fans who are abusing their power dynamic. Uh, you know, it might be someone like Jim Cornette. Someone who was uh, a wrestling historian who was featured in that capacity Uh, This past year on Dark Side of the Ring, an excellent, excellent, excellent documentary series, but features prominently in a good many episodes someone like Jim Cornette, who this week was alleged to have um, sexually coerced his wrestlers who were in his employ, basically, in OVW back in the day when he was running WWE's developmental system in the early 2000s into sleeping with his wife while he watched. And you had to do it if you wanted to succeed. These are the things that guys had to do to advance their careers in the professional wrestling industry underneath the watchful eye of someone like Jim Cornette, allegedly, but alleged by enough people that I feel comfortable knowing that, yes, that did happen. Uh, That is one part of the dynamic, but you also have wrestlers who are not in in positions of authority within the business, who are just in positions of power above their fans and use that dynamic to groom people or even make advances on underage women or not underage women, women who are simply feeling like they don't have a way to say no to someone who they admire and someone who holds a certain degree of power over them. There are also, uh, you know... Complaints against guys that are significantly lesser than that. There, There's a wide range of things, and that's what you have to be careful of because a situation like this can become, I don't want to say witch hunt because that's not the right word, 
but you can toss a bunch of guys in there because not every allegation carries the same weight. A guy being a bad boyfriend is not the same thing as a guy being an outright abuser or uh, or a rapist, essentially. That's what we're talking about here. That's what the allegations have been. I keep dancing around the issue, but there are guys that I have to speak out against tonight. I have to use my platform to speak out against on this very show this evening, Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. I am Justin Morissette. We're talking about the speaking out movement that took over the wrestling world on Twitter this week as female fans and wrestlers speak out against their powerful abusers. I do have to speak out against people because there are people who are alleged to have done terrible, terrible things who I have not only, uh, you know, been chummy with or, uh, you know, taken photos of uh, with that, you know, with my arm around them at an indie show. I have a toy of these, uh, might have a toy on my shelf of one of these guys. Certainly have a bunch of t-shirts of people who've been implicated. But beyond even that, there is one name in particular who really started this whole thing off this week as it pertains to the wrestling world the day after Chris D'Elia got it kicked off in the world of stand-up comedy. And that is David Starr, a, a gentleman who I interviewed in the very early stages of this program, an interview that I was and in some ways still am very proud of. We talked about what I think are a lot of important issues, but, you know, David Starr is not a real guy. I, I interviewed a character on some ways, even if we talked about real things, even if we talked about the need for unionization within professional wrestling, which is a very real need. Even if we talked about that, uh, even if we talked about, uh, you know, the way that this industry takes advantage of people as employers uh, and employees and the lack of benefits and, uh, you know, underinflated pay and people having to book their own accommodations and drive themselves from town to town, the way this industry is structured to take advantage of its employees. Uh, you know, I, I was proud of that conversation, but I cannot, uh, I cannot stand by that man now, and I cannot stand by and say nothing either. I cannot act like that was not an interview that I was proud of, that, I, that that's not an interview that I have probably played three times on this show, on these airwaves, in the last year, that is an interview that got a good amount of mileage during slow weeks when I felt like I didn't have anything else. Well, people probably haven't heard me chat with David Starr if they're tuning in for the first time. Let's run that one again. Sure, why not? If that's the position that I had then, then I do feel an obligation right now to stand up and say, David Starr is over. Max Barsky is over. Done. The allegations against him this week, which he tried on his own personal Twitter in tweets that he even paid to have promoted into people's timelines. Disgusting. Talking about how he may have been a bad boyfriend, but he's not a predator. Multiple partners of Max Barsky alleging that he sexually assaulted them, that he, that he is a rapist. And this is a man who, you know, a lot of people are pointing the finger at and saying, well, of course, I always knew. I always knew there had to be something up with him because of the way he loudly embraced progressive causes and pushed for unionization and wore leftist politics as a sheepskin clothing to hide the wolf underneath. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say, of course, I should have known anybody who embraced politics like that. Now, you know, you should know better than to than to trust a guy like that. I mean, that's what people say a lot of the time when someone in a position of power who you want to assume is a leftist ally is outed in this way. But I don't want to say that because I think that is the ultimate degree of cynicism where you have no room in your imagination that anyone would want to actually be altruistic to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And yes, maybe it is rare. Maybe you do need complicated heroes sometimes, like a Daniel Carcillo in the world of hockey, perhaps. But uh, I don't want to say I should have known because of the, the politics that this guy embraced. People 
should hold out hope that people can be progressive and and fight for important causes, real causes, because they actually believe in them. And that it's not an automatic smokescreen cover to hide how terrible they secretly are. But that is the world we find ourselves in sometimes, from time to time, I suppose. That people do use progressive politics to hide how predatory they truly are. And we did see that this week. And it is disappointing. I hope that the causes that David Starr did advocate for are not now tarnished with his reputation. And maybe that was a bigger concern, perhaps, in the early stages when it was just David Starr, when he was the only person under the microscope, when he was the only one facing abuse allegations. On Wednesday, before Thursday, just went haywire within the British wrestling scene. You know, it's not, it doesn't just speak ill of him, it speaks ill of certainly uh, a lot of the industry, especially the way it operates on the independent level and the people who control power there. So, you know, when it is not just him, when it is too many British wrestlers to even count, to be honest with you, I hope that, you know, we the independent, which is an organization that is still going to continue on without Max Barsky, which severed its ties from Max Barsky this week, which is now being headed up by Suge D, who you might know better as Pineapple Pete, as he has been dubbed by Chris Jericho for his role as an audience member on AEW television over the last however long, I do hope that he is able to continue that work. I do hope that the fight for unionization within professional wrestling, especially within the UK scene, is something that that organization can still do, that it is not tied with David Starr's name and, uh, and what he did forever. But he is not the only name, David Starr, who I feel the need to renounce. And it is not a former guest on this show by any stretch, uh, but he is someone who has come to Vancouver and performed with ECCW independently here at the Commodore Ballroom shows, uh, ballroom brawls in the past, and, and I own one of his T-shirts. I own one of his toys. I have a photo of myself arm-in-arm arm with him. I have photos of his entrance on my Instagram, and that's Joey Ryan. Joey Ryan, who also, perhaps not to the extent of David Starr, but also felt like he was using progressive politics as a smokescreen on some level. Yes, he was a sleaze openly. Yes, he has something of a porn star gimmick. But there was also something that sort of felt sex positive about what he was doing as well, or at least that seemed to be the way he tried to frame it. And you look back on it now and it's like, oh, of course, this guy was a pervert. Of course, this guy was a abuser sexual assaulter, a rapist, essentially. I don't know why I feel so uncomfortable using that word. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly what these guys have been alleged to do. And Joey Ryan now at this point has so many allegations against him from so many different levels, whether it's fans or fellow wrestlers, that you wonder how it didn't come to light sooner. How could this guy have been such a widespread villain and we wouldn't have found out until the last few days. But that is, that is what happens. People feel shamed. People feel complicit, complicit in their own assaults and feel like they will be judged if they speak out and reveal what was done to them. I read an anonymous story about Joey Ryan earlier today. made me sick to my stomach, honestly. I think I have an idea about who wrote this as well. I'm not going to speculate on that openly because it's not necessary, but I do want to read some of this to you so you can know the kinds of allegations that we are talking about here. Joey Ryan was like my best friend, this person writes, anonymously. I trusted him. He always seemed to care about me. We worked together countless times, traveled everywhere together. He would even check in with me to see how I was doing from time to time. I never thought of him as someone who would ever make me feel unsafe. One night after a show, we were both starving and nothing was open nearby. He offered to order some delivery food. When we got to our hotel, he followed me to my room. 
He was supposed to be rooming with another girl. I had my own room, but he stood by my door and asked if he could just wait for the food in my room with me. I said, okay. I trusted him. Neither of us had been drinking or anything. We would always hang out, and I never thought anything of it. But he came in my room, and he sat on the chair, and we talked for a while about a lot of different things. But he started to get flirty. I told him it was getting late, and I was just tired, so I wanted to take a shower and go to bed. He asked if he could shower with me, and I said, no, you should go to your room, and he wouldn't leave. I'm not going to continue to read all of the gory details of this sexual assault alleged to be perpetrated by Joey Ryan, Joseph Ryan Meehan, his real name. But I do want to read the final bit of it because I do think it addresses the complaints that often come up about why you would let someone do this to you, why you wouldn't you step up and, and complain and, and bring this to light earlier. Well, a person like Joey Ryan is a very powerful person within the world of women's wrestling in particular. The independent company that he ran in Los Angeles was one of the premier bookers of women's wrestling in the entire SoCal area, which when you imagine the size of California and Southern California in particular, is an enormous wrestling market, makes him an enormously powerful person to stand up against as a woman's wrestler. I do want to read the second part of this, though. After he passed out in the bed, I laid there until I had to go to the airport, feeling sick. He came to the airport with me. I was quiet and teary-eyed. He asked, what's wrong? I told him I didn't want to do any of that. He said he would pretend it never happened. I felt disgusting. I felt used. I felt guilty. I felt dirty. I never wanted to do that. I felt like I couldn't say anything about it because of the fear of people asking why. Why I didn't just scream or tell someone, but that's just it. You feel crippled by the power someone possesses within your profession. You feel like you won't be believed. You feel like they'll turn it against you. You feel like it's your fault. I still feel like I'm guilty because I continued to be his quote-unquote friend. I continued to do shows with him. I was scared of him, and I was scared of someone finding out and thinking I wanted to do that with him. I didn't. I felt like I had let my partner down. I felt like I betrayed him for not screaming or doing more. I can't explain it. I feel like I lost part of myself after that happened. I started drinking more than I ever had, running from the guilt and pain and feeling disgusted. I later found out I wasn't the only one he did this kind of thing with. I never want him to be able to do this again to someone. I've held on to this for so long and never spoke out about it until now. Writing this makes me feel like a huge weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. That is an anonymous story published by Sierra Loxton on Twitter, at Sierra Loxton, about Joey Ryan, who, you know, I talked about people saying they shouldn't be surprised by how David Starr presented himself as a pro progressive ally. Well, Joey Ryan presented himself as a complete sleazeball. His... WrestleMania weekend show this year was going to be called Joey Ryan's Penis Party. His gimmick currently in Impact Wrestling is just a riff on cancel culture and how awful it is. You know, all the signs are there if you look at the guy's gimmick of what kind of person he really is. But sometimes you don't want to see it. Sometimes you think a guy is so entertaining that, you know, he, he must be a good guy because he makes me feel good when I watch him work in the ring and so on, etc. You have to be able to separate someone's art from who they are, the art from the artist. And, and if you can't do that, then you need at least to focus on the artist part and not the art. Because, hey, Chris Benoit is one of the greatest ring technicians that ever lived. We don't celebrate him as one of the great wrestlers to have ever lived because... He made sure that we can't do that. He sacrificed his own legacy by his own actions. He's one of the worst people who's ever lived in the wrestling industry if you judge him by what he did and do not look at his concussion-addled brain and say, well, 
he didn't even know what he was doing in the end. He didn't even know who he was. He was a completely different person whose brain was destroyed by CTE. We say that sometimes about wrestlers and certainly football players who uh, do awful, awful things. Um, and maybe that is true of Benoit on some level, but it doesn't excuse what he did either. And you can't talk about him as a worker and the entertainment that he brought you because he's more than that. He's also a human being, and that human being did awful, unforgivable things. Countless guys like that exposed in the wrestling business this week. And I don't want to name all of the names that have been named because we don't know the severity of some of the allegations against these guys. We don't know the breadth of the allegations against these guys. How many people have stepped up and spoken out against the same people over and over and over again? But there are certain people that we do know for a fact you know, cannot be written off as wait and see. Joey Ryan is one of those people. David Starr, one of those people. Jack Gallagher, Gentleman Jack, far from a gentleman, it turns out, in reality. He was fired from WWE this week, released without even wished the best in his future endeavors. The shortest, the shortest press release that WWE PR has ever put out. Jack Gallagher has been released. That's it. That's all. for feeding alcohol to underage women for the exact reason you would suspect. Despicable behavior, unforgivable behavior. And it is now time for the companies that book these guys to stop, to feel pressure that just because a name is available who has recognizable name value does not mean that you have to work with these people. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morrison. I'm talking about the speaking out movement, wrestling's version of Me Too that came for professional wrestling as an industry this week. Look at Impact Wrestling and all of the people that they employ who are who found themselves unemployed for reasons very similar to this. Rich Swan still works for Impact, was fired by WWE for abusing his wife. Michael Elgin, a rumored abuser for a very long time, no longer working in New Japan because that locker room doesn't want him. He's found a healthy home and impact, however. They don't seem to have a problem with that. There are more names, more names with allegations against them who all sort of, sort of always seem to find themselves working at impact after they let go, get let go from companies that no longer want to work with them. There needs to be pressure on an impact wrestling or a ring of honor that this is not acceptable, that, that this is not going to fly, that you cannot continue to put these guys in positions of prominence and, and send a message, whether you know it or not, to not just the victims of those people, but victims of abuse in general, that you don't really care, that this is behavior that you're willing to tolerate and you can look past if the guy who did it is going to make you a quick buck, if you think he's going to draw even one extra set of eyeballs. Well, a company like that needs to be sent a message in all of this that if you continue to work with those people, whatever sets of eyeballs you attract will be heavily outnumbered by the eyeballs you repel. That as an audience, that as a wrestling culture, we will not stand for this. And sometimes it's complex. Sometimes you don't know what the right answer is. A situation like for example, Matt Riddle, whose debut on the main roster we heard coming into the show tonight. There's a woman who alleges that Matt Riddle choked her physically during a night drive in a van up and down the coast on the indie wrestling circuit and sexually assaulted her as he was driving the vehicle with another group of wrestlers asleep in the back. And according to sources within and outside WWE, Riddle has been aware of this story against him for a very long time and let WWE know about it from the moment he was signed. Said that he has had to change his phone number multiple times to avoid contact with this person, that he is being stalked and harassed, and that none of what she's alleging is true. 
Matt Riddle's wife, even on Twitter, revealed that they had very nearly come to the point of taking a restraining order against this woman two years ago. There's a storied history here, and WWE obviously feels like they have given it their due diligence that they reviewed this allegation against Matt Riddle and that they went ahead and aired the segment that they had taped to be his debut on Friday night. For a moment, though, on Friday in the day, it looked like that might not be the case. His name had been removed from the official preview of the show on WWE.com, but was put back in within a few hours or so as they investigated once again and found that this is the same story that they'd already investigated. So whether that means WWE just simply uh, thinks she's lying or, or thinks that Matt Riddle is telling the truth, I would imagine that that's what that says, or maybe they just don't want to do anything because they believe in this guy uh, as, a, as a draw. And look, I believe in Matt Riddle as well. He is someone who has come to Vancouver and put on perhaps one of, if not the very best match in the history of ECCW ballroom brawls against Artemis Spencer as the curtain jerk cold open to ballroom brawl 10. Everyone that I know in the wrestling world who has been in contact with Matt Riddle says that he is an angel. Every piece of backstage behind the scenes video that I've ever seen about the guy says that for all of his bro uh, characterization, and there is something to that, uh, to him as a person as well, that this is a very sincere person who loves and cares about his family more than anything. But at the same time, that can't mean anything right now. I don't know Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle is not a friend of mine. He's not a personal acquaintance on any level. I've seen pre-produced documentaries that make him look amazing, that make him look like a real sweetie, but he is not my friend, and I do not know the true contents of his character. I cannot say for certain that he did not do what he is alleged to have done, and if he has done that, then I can't be a fan. I cannot support this guy of whom I own a T-shirt and uh, I am a, a big, big fan of his work in the ring and had been a big fan of him as a person as well. You don't know these people and you cannot feel an inclination to write off allegations against people because you think you know who they are. You think you have a picture of the kind of person that they are behind the scenes. We don't know. We don't know. And that's what makes this difficult. That's what makes this a, a difficult thing to investigate when it's only one story and not a floodgate opening like it is in the case of Joey Ryan, who, when this is all said and done, might end up in prison for all I know. But they did go ahead with what they had taped as far as Riddle's debut. And I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to go ahead with what they've got taped because tapings hit a significant snag this week. I'll talk about that on the other side. It's just bad news all around on Wrestle Central this week when we come back. COVID-19 and its impact on the sports world finally, finally penetrates the world of the WWE Performance Center as well. And I'll touch on a little bit of the creative mind of Paul Heyman that is severely missing from WWE at the moment. That's when we come back. I'm Justin Morissette. You're listening to the home of professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. Pick yourself up off the mat. It's time for more Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650 with Justin Morissette. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, and it's a heavy show this evening. We've been talking about hashtag speaking out the movement that finally arrived at professional wrestling's doorstep this week. Women's wrestlers and fans alike speaking out against their powerful abusers within the wrestling business. Talked before the break about the need for fans to put a public pressure on a company like Impact Wrestling that has famously opened its doors to known abusers and hired people after they've been fired for allegations being made against them in other companies. Well, according to Pro Wrestling Insider, I just read, now during the commercial break, 
Uh, it's looking like Joey Ryan is done with Impact after multiple allegations of misconduct on social media recently. So now it is Impact's turn to be the company that severs its ties with a wrestler. And you have to think that is a good sign that he might not be able to find work anywhere else after the fact. This is not like the comedy industry where there will always be uh, you know, one club owner desperate enough to book a Louis C.K. If someone has done objectively horrendous, abominable things, we do not have to make room for them within the wrestling industry. They can simply be finished and go do something else. I do not want to talk about these allegations all night long, but I did want to name certain people that we do know for a fact are basically all but confirmed to have done these things just with the enormity of the allegations against them, and a number of them have admitted it by their own hand as well. Uh, talked about David Starr earlier on the show, talked about uh, a number of people, Jack Gallagher, Jim Cornette, so on, etc. cetera. Um, Jimmy Havoc in AEW, another guy from the British scene, was put into rehab this week. AEW announced a statement on Jimmy's status with the company. They said, we wish Jimmy Havoc all the best as he receives treatment and counseling in an effort to overcome the mental health and substance abuse challenges in his life. We are aware of various reports related to Jimmy. We are evaluating his status within our company and will address it when he has successfully completed his rehabilitation. Now, a lot of people, including Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, have written that essentially when someone is in the position that Jimmy is now in, having checked into rehab, the company is not able to fire them necessarily until their rehabilitation program is complete. So even if Jimmy Havoc does go to rehab, if what is alleged against him is found to be true or at least true enough to AEW's liking, uh, there is still a good chance that he will be uh, removed from the company when this is all said and done. And again, I have to stress that the vast majority of the allegations, certainly against wrestlers in the British wrestling scene this week in particular, are not just that they uh, are abusers or have committed sexual assaults, but that they are committed or attempted to commit sexual assaults against minors, against teenage girls who are not of the age uh, to be involved in any of the things that these guys have tried to involve them in, just feeding them alcohol beyond the point of, uh, you know, any doubt what the, what the intent is in doing that. Uh, awful allegations, the kind of things that you hate to dig deeper on. That was the problem this week. Anytime a name popped up, well, I before I can toss them in the bin, put them on the barge, fire them off into the sun, whatever you want to call it, I would like to know what is alleged of them. And the more often you did that this week, the more disheartening it was, the more horrific and horrendous the stories you had to read. Not every guy who was named this week is going to see his career end. Some of them are more on the harmless side. Some of them are petty disagreements with a woman, uh, you know, and that's the small minority. I don't want to say that I'm writing off any allegations, but not every guy that was named this week is guilty. That is the, the danger, the pitfall when we do this anonymously on Twitter, when one anonymous Twitter account decides that it will be releasing a list of names for every allegation it receives. Not all of them are getting the due diligence. Not all of them uh, are being investigated to see how truthful they are. And I do think that the vast majority of them are truthful, but I do think we also need to wait and see with some of these guys before we uh, cast them out of society. However, there are a couple of guys for whom it's looking really, really bad at the moment. Jordan Devlin is one of them, a prominent name within WWE who had been the cruiserweight champion before the COVID lockdown had kept him stuck in the UK and uh, WWE ran a tournament to crown an interim cruiserweight champ in his absence. Looks like that interim champ is going to be the actual champ because we might not see or hear from Jordan Devlin again on WWE programming. Another guy who's had allegations against him for years at this point. Years. 
is the Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark, a wrestler that I personally am an enormous fan of in the ring and on the mic. I think he's the full package as far as character, presentation, ring work. Well, all of that is out the window now. His career is essentially over as he has been revealed to uh, basically have groomed teenage boys in his position as a pro wrestler, uh, you know, acting like he wanted to uh, help them make their way, break into the industry when really he, uh, you know, has had sexually nefarious purposes with a lot of these literal kids, children. And that's what makes some of this just so disgusting, so disturbing to even have to talk about. But this is the news. This is what happened in the world of professional wrestling this week. And when I have, you know, lobbied for and and touted some of these people on this show, when I've had David Starr as a guest on these airwaves, I cannot turn a blind eye to this. I cannot look the other way and say, this is too heavy for me, man. This isn't why I got into sports radio. You have to look this in the face. You have to comment on it. You have to confront it. You have to say, no more from these guys. They're finished. Another guy, like Velveteen Dream, who it seems like it's been an open secret for years, who has a mountain of allegations against him now, is Ring of of Honor's Marty Skrull, a guy who it looked like was possibly going to jump to NXT earlier this year, or maybe even AEW instead, got the most lucrative contract that Ring of Honor has ever handed down to the point where he is not only their most prominent star wrestler, but he is also the head of their booking committee and is writing the show on a nightly basis. Now, Ring of Honor hasn't had any shows in a very long while, and in fact, that might be a blessing in disguise for them at the moment that allegations against their champion would come out in a week where they're not doing anything anyway. So they don't have to address this right away. They do have time to uh, do a thorough investigation of these things. But part of me is inclined to believe that whatever is said about Marty Skrull is true because I've heard those rumblings for years. That Marty Skrull has a problem with underage girls. Allegedly if I have to say that, when the allegations are so numerous, I will still say allegedly. But, you know, these, this is, this is, it's wide, it's so widespread, it's right across the industry, it's in every company, it's in every position, essentially, whether it's on screen, behind the scenes, on the independent, so on, etc. Just a real, a real troubling week for the wrestling world this week, and Uh, I do want to wrap up by talking about something that is not just enormously heavy, but is still depressing. COVID-19 came to the WWE Performance Center this week, or actually a couple weeks ago now. The WWE has been having Performance Center trainees and NXT talent as a fake audience in the crowd making noise and reacting to everything that goes on in the ring, taking a page from the way AEW has presented their COVID lockdown television. Well, they released a report on Monday this past week, six days ago now, Monday morning, that a performance center talent, a woman who's not a wrestler or has not wrestled in NXT yet, anyways, uh, has contracted COVID-19. She was last used as an audience member during a Raw taping as recently as June 9th. And when we are in a position where this week WWE opened its doors to the general public for the first time, where there were members of the crowd for Monday Night Raw this past week who were actual just members of a crowd, the actual public who was admitted in to cheer and react as they otherwise would, I am personally terrified of what the next few weeks could look like in WWE. And this was always a risk when you chose to run COVID-19 shows especially in Florida, especially in a state where they did the absolute bare minimum, if anything, to take any steps against making any sort of precautionary measures to try and shut this thing down. 
It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. You're listening to Sportsnet 650. As I mentioned, we are talking now about COVID-19. It had quite the impact on sports this week, you may have noticed. The Tampa Bay Lightning had to shut down their training camp as they ramped up for Phase 2 of the NHL's reopening plan. Clemson football had to shut down all of their practices as upwards of 20 guys came down with it doing group workouts, which is insane that you would even do that at all. But, hey, we feel a lot looser about COVID-19 right now than we did three months ago, even though the problem in some places is worse, much, much worse than it was when we first went into lockdown. Now, if you're feeling a little loose about it here in Vancouver, I don't necessarily fault you. We are handling this about as well as anywhere in North America and certainly possibly even the entire world. Dr. Bonnie Henry is becoming a celebrity right across the continent, profiled in the New York Times. People know who she is because of the way we have managed this thing here in British Columbia, in Florida. It's been the exact opposite, and that is exactly where WWE has chosen to run these tapings all along. They ran a taping after the news came out of the positive test. They did COVID tests first. They made the guys do that weird nasal swab that goes all the way back into your brain or what have you. Had to wait a good hour or however long it took for the test results to come back on that. It was described as a pure cluster. A cluster F, as it were. Just a nightmare logistically. No leadership, no planning. Those were the reports coming from Monday's taping at the Performance Center in Florida for WWE. And uh, not good. It doesn't bode well. It doesn't bode well at all. Kevin Owens this week decided to stay home, skip out on the tapings. He's been prominently used in a feud for the last little while with Angel Vargas. Or Angel Garza, sorry, I should say. And he decided to stay home, as he should. He's a father. He's a husband. He has young children at home. It's not even as much about putting himself at risk to continue his career, to continue making money for his family. Ironically, something that has always been Kevin Owens' character in WWE, that he is a prize fighter doing everything that he does for the benefit of his children. Well, that was certainly true this week as he decided to skip out on tapings, and who knows when he'll be back. Honestly, impossible to say. You know what? I was thinking this week. That is completely the right thing to do, first of all, but also, also, Roman Reigns made that choice as well, and he made it a long time ago. He made it a week before WrestleMania. Roman Reigns bailed on WrestleMania this year, not because he is a survivor of leukemia who was immunocompromised. That's what everyone assumed he had done, made that decision for that reason. What he actually did was make that decision because he is a father of young twin sons. He did not want to bring that virus home into his household and potentially pass it on to his boys. And that decision, which was slightly controversial at the time, which, in fact, WWE possibly resented as recently as a few weeks ago, editing him out of video packages on television so that we were never even shown or reminded of the existence of Roman Reigns. You know, they didn't seem to be too happy with him for making that decision, but that decision might be the biggest babyface move that Roman Reigns has ever made in his career you cannot fault it for him fault him for it I should say it was 100% the right thing to do and um, what a guy Roman Reigns has always been such a, a a great dude in real life anytime you see Joseph Anoa'i in a real situation where he's not playing a character he's the most charming wonderful human being and that shines through in that decision if only they were able to translate some of that to his on-screen character, that I would love to see. But this was the first week for WWE without Paul Heyman behind the, uh, the writing team on Raw, and it sort of felt that way to me. The show took a step back. 
I thought the show took a step back last week, and it certainly took a step back this past week as well. It felt like a show from 2014 or so, just the way it was structured, uh, you know, the way that you had like fake stakes in a situation like Drew McIntyre having to put his title on the line in a tag match with a goofy partner like R-Truth. You never believe that he's going to lose it. It's not real storytelling. It's fake stakes. Nothing that really feels important enough to keep you around. And it's disappointing because it was reported over the last little week here, the last little while, that Heyman was ousted by Vince McMahon because he did not think that Heyman's project of getting over new talents was working. How? How he could possibly make that determination in an era where you don't even have crowds in the building during a pandemic, during a global pandemic, when people's TV viewing habits have radically changed, when people are watching more news than they ever have before, when you do not have live audiences to tell you how things are going, how can you possibly look at what Paul Heyman was doing and say, audiences weren't responding to this, he was doing a bad job. If Raw's ratings are low right now, and I tried to make this point last week, but I ran out of time then, and I'm probably going to run out of time before too long here. If Raw's ratings were low last week, or over the last several months, or over the last year, that has nothing to do, that is not a reflection of Raw's current performance. That is an indication of the way the numbers have been sliding for years based on tune-out over the course of years. Look at film franchises. X-Men 3 made more money than X2, made more money than the first X-Men. Is that because it was the best X-Men movie? No. In fact, it's one of the worst. But there was such goodwill towards that brand that people still went. People still spent the money to go see it because they were acting on their goodwill of what they'd already seen in movies that aired years previous. X-Men First Class didn't make as much money as X-Men 3. Is that because it's a worse movie than it, or is it because audiences were burned by what they plunked the money down to see when they went to see X3 or X-Men Origins Wolverine after that? Years of bad product all in a row are going to have an impact on your television ratings that cannot be overcome during two months in the middle of a pandemic. So my heart goes out to Paul Heyman this week. But that's not the worst news in wrestling, far from it. And it's been a heavy show, but that is our show this evening. I hope you enjoyed it or as much as a discussion like this can be enjoyed. There will no doubt be more and more stories over the course of the week ahead that I will have to tackle on next week's show, and I will do that as well. I will not be ignoring this. I will not be condemning it or turning a blind eye. I have to use this platform to speak out, especially against people that I use this platform to prop up. So until next week when we do this same bat time, same bat channel, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette. This has been our show. Thank you so much for tuning in on a Sunday night to listen and uh, keep it right here. Until next week, the home of professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. This has been Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650.